0: You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. I have a few moments that I, I wanna to talk to you um, about the next core value. So we've been talking about core values. I started last week. Uh, and the fact that we have, and I've, I've never, I decided I, I wanted to do this in Bonterre, and then I thought, I'm just going to do this both places, and really just lay out core values and lay out, you know, what they, uh, you know, what they mean and the purpose of them so that we can all be on this thing together, and it's going to be awesome, amen? So last week, I talked about just core values in general, and what they mean and the purpose of them, and in specific, I, I talked about unity, and again, I, I feel like I could talk about unity every, every week. And it's really something that the, core, the, the church has to get a hold of this core value so that it will be good for us but also good for other people. We have to be an example in this community. And when you see people up in arms, if you have the, the value in you of, like, we're, we're looking to be unified with people, not fight with people. If you have that value in you, you can actually become part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And I do my best on Facebook. I don't know if I say I do my best. That was a lie. I, I am working towards doing my best to not ever say things. But when I see ignorance gone to seed, sometimes I get out my phone and I'm like, it's like, you ever see the thing where it was like somebody typed a whole long message and then, then they deleted the whole thing? Anybody ever done that in here? It's usually like, you are complete nincompoop. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I think that aliens suck the brains out of your head. Or Wait a second, Lord, that's not loving. Delete it back. I see your point. I hope we can walk in love, you know, whatever. So but we all, we all go through those things, but, but it's good that we posture ourselves right with people to be able to, to move forward because human beings are not the problem. It's the powers that are working behind that are the problem to try and disrupt the flow of what God's doing in the earth. But we are gonna stand strong and not allow that, amen? And so core values basically are this, And you can have a value system. the deal is, is that everybody has values on some level. Everybody has values. And you may have them intentionally or you might just have values that are there because of how you were raised or whatever. And they may not be good values. They could be bad values. They could be values that are indifferent or whatever. But the goal is with core values, we should develop these in our own life but in the church, in specific is what we're talking about. The reason we have these here is to determine the culture of the church. And so we, um, we really spent a lot of time looking at, like, Lord, what do you want this church to look like to feel like? What do you want the atmosphere, uh, you know, to be like? And like kind of the, the um, The term that Gen Z people use is like the vibes, which is very like new agey to me, but they're like, this place gives me good vibes, which I don't use that and I wouldn't encourage that particularly. But, uh, you know, when you walk in the place and it's got good vibes, it's culture. You know, you're experiencing something when you walk in there, when you go in there. There's a feel to it. And when people walk in here, they feel something. They experience something. And I'm talking about before they even hit these double doors here, in the hallway and in the foyer, and even when they drive up to to the facility. Uh, they're feeling something, they're experiencing something, they're seeing your faces, they're, they're feeling your touch, they're, whatever it is, and they're experiencing something. And so we can either be intentional about that or just let whatever happens happen. And I've been down that road before, and after enough years of seeing like unintentional culture, I'm like, we're going to change this. And I think I shared this with you, but I was at a point to where I was like, I didn't even want to come to my own church. I was sitting at a, in a conference, in the, and this guy minister, and he's like, pastors, he said, if you don't even want to go to your own church, something's wrong. I was like, Jesus, something is wrong with me because I don't even want to go to my own church and I'm in charge of it, you know? And so, but it's about being very intentional. And people can relate to that even in their own homes. If your home has been in turmoil or you've lived in a tumultuous home or an environment or a work environment, it's because somebody hasn't actually gone in and taken control of that thing and been very intentional about what's happening in that environment, probably just because they don't understand some, some things. So this is why we have developed core values. So what we talked about last week was unity. This week, and actually I'm going to mention um, all of these real quick. I'll mention them every week. Unity, hospitality, excellence, faith, love, and honor. And honor is what we're going to talk about this week. And we could go on and on um, about honor, but I'm just going to give you some real basic things here that are good for us to know concerning honor and developing a culture of honor. Honor. And here's one thing that I want to say about core values, um, is that they are a choice. It's a choice when you, when you know you're supposed to, I hate to use the word behave, because I don't like to get caught up in a lot of like, you have to behave this way, but it's just really what we're expressing out of us. Um, it, has to be, it has to be, if it's going to work and it's going to be there, it has to be very intentional. And it is a choice on our part. And so whenever you're looking at any kind of core value, you first have to know it, and then you have to be intentional to begin to work that thing. And so it basically is just setting a standard for the atmosphere. So when you're talking about, you know, love is a core value we'll get to, you, you can look at what love is, we'll define what love is, we'll declare what love is, and then everything that would come in as far as relationship between us, if it violates our core value of love, then we just simply don't, we just simply don't do it. And it's the same thing with all, all of those things, um, including honor. And honor, I think, is one of the things that is probably the most difficult to talk about Out of all of the core values, because uh, you can give a definition, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily expressed correctly. But I am really pleased to just say that you guys express honor very, very well to each other, even if you've not intentionally thought, I'm going to be very honoring. And here's what honor basically is, I could give you the definition of honor, and you'd be like, okay, well, I don't know if that really helps me. I could give you the Greek definition of honor, and you'd be like, okay, I get that, but I don't know if that really helps me. This is basically what honor is. Honor is treating people the same that we treat Jesus. It's treating people the same way that we treat Jesus, or that we would treat Jesus if he was here. You know, I, you could imagine that if Jesus physically walked through those doors, what would your thinking be like? What would your posture be like? How would you look at him? What would you think towards him? What would you want to say about him? What would you want to do with him in terms of other people that you are around? There's a lot of questions we could ask about that, but basically, The whole idea of honor comes from the Lord because the Lord is a person of honor. And when you're honoring something, it means this, that you're finding the value in them and you're bringing that value to the surface. Now, if Jesus was here, we wouldn't even have to look for value. It would just be there in our, we would like, there's Jesus. There's all the value in the world. But the reality is, is that people, so he would be easy to honor, right? But when it comes to people... Oftentimes, we have to dig past the dirt to look for the gold. But if we're going to really, truly honor people, we have to make it a conscious choice, a decision that we're going to look for the value that's in them, which means that we're looking at them through the eyes of the Lord instead of looking at them through our natural eyes. And that's easier said than done, but it is doable. And honestly, it's a constant it's a constant battle. It's, it's a constant something that I, I, even in my own life, that I have to work towards. Because you all are really dirty. No, I'm just kidding. So, but, it's, but it's, just, it's just human beings. Human beings, we've all got our stuff. We all have our issues. And so we have to make the decision to be like, okay, I see what they're saying. I, I hear what they're saying. I, I, I see their actions. Uh, and those particular things aren't good. But what what is good? God, show me what is good on the inside of them that you see concerning them. And this just goes back to what Paul said in Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, he says now we therefore no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. You know what that means? That means that you look at people according to how God has made them and what God says about them and that is coming to a place of honor where you're simply looking at people and saying I choose to look at you, act towards you, think towards you, speak towards you what God says and not just all the things that I'm seeing on the outside. And what happens is that when people do that then it starts to change the person that honor is being brought towards. Because if truth be told, anyone that's got any kind of relationship with the Lord, and I'll say any kind but if you have a positive relationship with the Lord, you have found the Lord honoring you. You've heard his voice honoring you, and it's brought you up instead of pushing you down. It's actually brought you up higher and caused you to shake off things that were once a problem in your life because you realize that God saw something in you even if you didn't see it in you. And that's one of the greatest privileges that we have as believers, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is for us to be able to look at other people that may not be as far along in the Lord as we are and be able to find the gold that God says, be able to find the gold, the goodness that God has placed in them, and bring it to the service. And that basically is what a prophetic culture is all about. That's one of the reasons that we, uh, several years ago, kind of accidentally, I say accidentally, God started giving us dreams and doing these things, and we're like, actually, there's a lot of benefit to to prophecy and to prophesying to people. And so we have a, a culture, a prophetic culture here on purpose. And it's different than maybe what a lot of people are used to because most of the time when people think about prophecy, like when Ron was sharing that word earlier, which is a tremendous word, by the way, and I was thinking, actually, that could have been just for me, even though you said it was for all of us. We all should be like that per- when it comes to words from the Lord anyways, like, God, that is, that is for me most people when they think about prophecy they think about words like that and that is part of a prophetic culture but you know I this is what I personally believe that that's probably less than five percent of prophecy that takes place in a church probably less than five of it five percent of it should be that and I'm just throwing out a just a a general number, the majority of prophecy that operates in a prophetic culture isn't about standing up and I've got a word and then declaring it. There is a place for that. Obviously, this morning we did that, but it's when you're in relationship with people that you can look at them and begin to see past their stuff, see past their issues and begin to see and to say what God says about them. And when you do that, you're pulling to the surface all of the good stuff and just almost by a process of, of elimination, the bad stuff just begins to fall off. That's what it looks like to honor people. And so I want to read a couple of, of verses here. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, Ephesians 5 and 21. And this is a very uh, simple verse, but it's really good. Um and actually, let's start in verse 19. So we're going to go Ephesians 5:19 through 21. And this is in, in context of talking about relationships. In this particular few verses, he's talking about the church. And it says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This basically is a verse that describes honor. Honor is a place of submission. And submission is something that most people don't understand, and the church over the years uh, have abused it. And how it's primarily been abused is, you need to submit to me. And I think a lot of times that will come from leaders who are insecure, and they're, they're controlling, and they've got all these kind of issues, and they're how they'll look at people is they'll say, you need to submit to me. If anyone ever forces you to submit, then it's not submission, it's just control. Because submission is an issue of the heart, and it's only something that you can do towards other people. That was a really good point right there. It's good preaching, Kent. Thank you, Kent. I appreciate you saying that. But if, if it's ever forced, it's not true submission. It's just control. Now, there's a level that, like, you know, I've had different times where people have, have gone berserk on me, and I've had to utilize my authority as a leader, as a pastor, and say, you're out of line, you need to be quiet or whatever. And that's not being controlling, but that's just keeping things in proper order. But when it comes to our relationship with one another, submission and honor are basically the same thing. It's saying that what you have is valuable, and I'm willing to place myself, in a sense, underneath of you to lift you up, to serve you, to bless you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, because I see God on you and in you, and I want to bring that to the surface. And I'm more interested, and as a matter of fact, I'm more interested in holding you up than I am holding myself up. Amen. This is why when you go on and read, it's in this passage, it says wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. It doesn't say husbands take authority over your wives and make her submit. I've literally had people say things like that to me. Like I feel like my wife is out of line and and I immediately am like, you're wrong. I don't always say that, but I'm like, you're wrong. Um, (laughs) And it's like, what do I need to do to get her to submit to me? And it's like, Let's go back and read this here. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So there is a command there to wives, for the husband is the head of the house, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And you can stop there with people, and they'd be like, see, she needs to submit. And it's like, well, hang on Look at the next one. It says, husband, love, you, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I've had many conversations with men where I'll be like, listen here, you turd. Stop treating your wife like that. Because Jesus didn't treat you like that. Jesus didn't force you to have a relationship with him. Jesus didn't force you to come underneath of him so he could reign and rule over you and control you and squash you like a bug. So for anybody that ever has this mentality of like, you know, you're, I did just call those, those kind of men a turd, but <laughs> it's kind of what they are. Jesus didn't do that to us. He doesn't do that to us. He is so loving. He's kind. And you know what he is? He is honoring towards us. And when you find honor is given, even when honor isn't deserved, you will pull things out of people that you never knew were there. Now, God knows they're there when he's honoring us. He knows that they're there. But when we're honoring one another, you'll find things come out of people. It's like, wow. And that's the thing about honor is it's, it's not something that's earned. It's something that simply is given because other people are living, breathing human beings. In First Peter, it says to honor all men. It doesn't say honor the ones that are, that are nice to you. It says honor all men. And there's a there's a place, you know, Jesus, there's some people that could say, you know, if you're talking tough and if you're if you're saying this is wrong, then that's not very honoring. Well, honor isn't always a necessarily a, a voice influxation, but it has to do with how you see that person. Because Jesus was the one that went in, and of course he he honors his own word. When it says to honor all men, you know that God honors his word and he honors all men. Amen. And but when he went into the temple, it says that he it didn't say that he found a whip along the way and then got a little bit angry and then went. In. No, he made a whip. I mean, he, I could just imagine Jesus with his skills going in with the whip and, you know, and, and stringing it out into a whatever, a cat of nine tails and maybe putting some glass shards on the end and whatever he would do with it. Jesus had a righteous anger about him, yet he still remained in honor. So it's not always about whether someone is just like soft and gentle and like cuddly and cozy. That's not it. It's a position in your heart towards people that you're looking to see them come up to another level. And this really, to me, is the essence of what ministry is all about. It's about raising people up to another level. And we do that by looking past their issues and seeing what God says about them and just simply saying what God says about them. Bringing that to the surface. I've had people bring things about me, good stuff about me to the surface. I didn't need anyone to bring my bad stuff. I already knew all my bad stuff. And I've dealt with some different things like in this prophetic culture where there's been different people that have been wanting to like point out the negative things like they've got this going on and they've got that going on. And I discern this and I see that. And a lot of it just is a spirit of suspicion and whatever. But maybe sometimes people say stuff or or, I mean they see stuff and so they want to say it. Listen, just because you see something doesn't mean you need to say it. Do you think right now that God sees problems with you and me? That he sees problems with us that he doesn't say anything about. <laughs> I guarantee you that if he were keeping a list, he would have a mountain of problems that in communication with us, he could be like, Kent, you have this problem, and you think this, and you said this, and you were wrong in this situation. Like, And he's God, and he, he actually holds the right to do that. I mean, he actually could do that because he's God. He's always right about everything. My best friend is always right about everything. (laughs) But he doesn't do that. He he looks at us and he sees us through the eyes of faith. And so he honors us and looks at where he's called us to be. And he speaks to that so that that will come to the surface. And all the other things will hopefully over time as we keep ourselves before the Lord will fall to the wayside. That's how God thinks and acts towards us. Man, that's awesome it actually if we just if we kept this with people and we watched our our words and I'll be the first to tell you that i am not perfect at this as a matter of fact I would say if okay exposure time for my family line something that's been in my family like Katie and I's family and she would tell you this and she maybe has said this to some of you is like we have we've had a critical spirit that has been in our probably just some things we saw growing up, and you could say in our bloodline, however you want to see all that stuff. We've had to identify that and, and knock it off, and there's still times when that will want to creep up and have a critical spirit because of knuckleheads doing knuckleheaded things, but how many of all know that God loves knuckleheads? He created them. He cares for them, and I'm not trying to be... That's, that's my way of... Sometimes i look at people, and I'll think, you got to be... I don't... Mm. And so knucklehead is a polite way to just say it. But look, God loves those people. He cares about those people. And so I've had to go back at times and be like, Lord, forgive me. And I repent of having a critical spirit towards your people, not only the ones in your church, but also the whole world. You created them. Now, you can call things out just like they are. Jesus called Herod a fox. You know, and he didn't mince words about the Pharisees and things like that. It's fine to call things out, but let's sure we, we stay in a place, if for nothing else, for our own sake, staying out of offense. And let's stay out of offense and in a place of honor to where we can look at people and simply see what God says about them and say what God says about them. And in a prophetic culture, as you sharpen that skill of being able to see and discern, to know and to hear things in the spirit, Someone who is a true seer, this is something that a lot of people don't understand. But somebody has, who has a true seeing gift, they can see things and hear things, and it's, it's not even the Lord revealing it. They simply have a gift to be able to do it. And that goes beyond where a lot of people, maybe a lot of people might understand. But let me just say this. I remember I had this relationship one time with this, this one person, had one of the strongest seeing gifts that I know of. And they ended up calling me, and they quoted back the conversation that I was having with the Lord, oh, with me, the Lord, and Liz about something. And they were able to tell me what I was talking about, and they were nowhere near me. And my phone was not on. And it didn't amount to anything good. That's why I knew it wasn't the Lord. They just had the ability to see and to hear and to know you can do that. You have the ability to do that. Now, a lot of times people will be like, oh, this person, they're just blah, 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 blah. And all it is is suspicion. They're not hearing anything. It's the gift of suspicion. There you go. That's right. It's a supernatural demonic gift of suspicion is really what it is. And, you know, they're not really discerning anything, but, you know, they're probably trying to. But if there is negative that's being, quote, discerned, that's not what you speak to people. What you speak to people is like, okay, God, I'm, I'm seeing. And sometimes I'll be like, oh, wow, that's a problem. And sometimes I'll, I might have to, as a pastor, I might have to address those problems. But most of the time I'll be like, all right, Lord, give me the word that goes with it. There's a difference between knowing, seeing, discerning, hearing things in the spirit, and then having a word from the Lord to speak to that person to bring them out of what it is that they are in huge difference. A lot of times people that are strong prophetically, they think their gift is to call stuff out of people, when really that's just something that they have ability to operate in, and maybe they've sharpened that skill, but the gift is really to look at them and begin to speak and say what God says about them. Because if you have enough discernment, you have enough ability in the Spirit to see negative stuff, you have enough ability and discernment in the Spirit to see positive stuff. So you can see the negative. Okay, I see that that's there. Now, God, what do you say about this person? They are loved. They are accepted. They have a tremendous gift. They have A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Speak those things about them. Because a lot of times when people want to take the negative things and they want to say that, what they don't realize is that they're being used by a manipulative, controlling spirit to try and be that person's Holy Ghost. There's only one Holy Ghost, and it's the Holy Ghost. Our job is not to go in and convict people of their sin, convict people of their problems. Our job is to go in and bring blessing and strength and help to people by honoring them. Hallelujah. There's a lot more I want to say. Let me read one more verse and we'll close with this. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. You all getting something out of this? And I actually never even read the declaration Go to Philippians chapter 2, the declaration concerning honor. And this is our declaration about honor. I will honor all men. I will show honor in my words and actions to those in authority over me and to those I have authority over. There's nothing wrong with being underneath of authority, and there's nothing wrong with having authority over people. It's healthy. My spiritual father, Pastor Bobby... I have not had the pleasure because of his current condition that he is in of having him give me any correction or instruction or rebuke in nine months, and I long for it, not nine, I guess seven months. I long for it. I actually long to be under people that can speak into my life because I know the blessing that comes from having people over, proper people over that can speak to raise you up. So anyone that wouldn't want to be underneath of somebody else The proper somebody else or other people, you just simply don't understand the benefit of being underneath of other people. I'm underneath of God. You guys are underneath of God. Is it not a privilege to be underneath of the Lord? Oh my gosh, he can reign and rule in my life all he wants in every which direction. He's amazing. He's also put human beings that represent him in part to be able to help us in those areas as God's working through them. And that's a huge benefit. So it's right to be under people. It's right as you grow in the Lord to be over people. If you're pro- in the process of, or whatever, you've procreated, you have children. I don't know why I just said it like that. If you've you got kids, your kids are underneath of your authority. And so that's kind of an automatic thing. But if you don't know how to be under authority, you probably are not being very, you're not good at being over authority, over other people in authority, if you're not good at being underneath of it. How else will you learn how to be a good person in authority unless you've been underneath of someone in proper authority to show you how to be somebody in authority? That's why if you're in a church that has a a rotten, controlling pastor, you should be out of that church. But if you're in a church like this one where there's proper authority and order and you will get loved and encouraged and strengthened and all that kind of stuff, I'd... I'd sit under me in a heartbeat. I want to address one quick thing. I've, I've gone over what I wanted to, but um, we worshipped long, and so the Holy Spirit stole some of my time, so I'm just stealing it back. Um, so I want to address one thing, and then I want to read this verse, and then we'll close. This is something that comes up Periodically. And I'm just going to give you—I'm going to give you my thoughts about it. Um, some cultures, there—there there are, in fact, let me give you an example of two diametrically opposed ideas. And geographically, I'm in the middle, so maybe I'm also in the middle. Take Bethel for example. They don't call Bill Johnson Pastor Bill or Apostle Bill. He really is an apostle. Is really his true calling. I mean, you might find some people that do that, but they, he does not demand that. They don't, they don't call him that. Take the other end of the country, and you go to Pastor Rodney. I just call him Pastor Rodney because he demands that people call. You You either call him Dr. Rodney or you call him Pastor Rodney. And there is, there is no blurring that line there. And so I, I look at these things, and we've had these conversations a lot. Most people here call me Pastor Kent. Some people do not call me Pastor Kent. Here is what I just want to throw this out. Here is, here is what I feel because it, can't, it can be an issue of honor. But again, honor is an issue in the heart. And sometimes people don't want to say pastor because they don't. Sometimes it's because that's how they weren't raised and so it sounds funny to them. Other people were raised completely opposite and they would never call me anything but pastor. But for some people, they don't want to place themselves underneath and so they will not use the word Pastor. Because they feel like it opens them up to being underneath of somebody and they don't want that. Those are the ones usually when they, when they call me Kent, I think, you really should call me pastor. Because when you say something, you begin to identify with it. For example, when our kids grew up in our homes and we grew up in our parents' homes, especially for those of you that I'll say 50, 60, and older, I'm guessing you never would have just called your parents by their first name. It was mother or father, mom, dad. That was the appropriate way. Now, why? Was it because they were lording themselves over you and they were just, I'm your dad? No, it was, it was actually very relational. So real, true, proper authority is relational. It's not commanded. It comes through relationship. But if, you were, if I were to have called my parents Mark or Carolyn, which are their, their real names, it would have been wrong for me because I would not have truly seen them or placed myself underneath of them as God had designed and it actually would have short-circuited what I could have received from them as being underneath of them in their home. So then when but I know it's different when you have people in the church that are grown adults, sometimes people have a hard time coming underneath of the leadership and and I and I understand that. I get that. And this is why I'm just trying to answer a question that people have. Should you be called pastor? Should I call you pastor? You can call me whatever you're comfortable with, but when you see, when you say You will begin to see yourself in that position. And if you want to draw from my anointing, I would recommend calling me pastor. If you don't want to draw from my anointing, then you don't have to. But you are going to see yourself the way that you say. We say, and then we see, and then we receive. So I may be somewhere in the middle between Bill Johnson and Rodney Howard Brown. I will never demand people. I actually do have one person Well, never mind. The cat out of the bag. Sometimes there are people that I will address and say, you need to call me pastor because they have got, I see the potential in them to grow, but they've got something in their heart towards me and they need to be connected to me because I am not your buddy and I'm not your friend. Now I am, we played golf the other day and we was a very friend thing to do. You went into the porta potty and I lifted it up when you were in there and wiggled it around. And then when I went into the porta potty, I just about fell out. That was a very friend thing to do. It was, it was actually it was very fun. So we weren't going to win the golf tournaments. It was like, whatever, let's just have some fun. So it was good. It was, so I'm not saying I'm not a friend, but when it comes to my position, the Lord spoke to me one time. He said, this is how he said it. He said, you are not their bro, you're their pop. I would never use that language, bro and pop, but the Lord said it to me just like that, so I would never forget it. It is not my job to be your brother. People will say brother, and it's fine. It's whatever. But actually, my job is to be the father of this house. I think about 13% of you got that, so thank you. I don't, I actually don't, I don't care if people call me pastor or not in terms of my own, I don't have any identity wrapped up in that, but when Pastor Bobby, let me say this one last thing, and then we'll read the verse, and then we'll be done. When Pastor Bobby, I first got to know him, and he is in a, in a he's an extremely loving man, the most loving person I've ever met in my life, but you do not call him anything except for Pastor Bobby. That's the culture that they have in their church. And I asked him about that one time. I said, why are you guys so demanding about that? And he explained basically just what I explained to you. And he said, if people don't say it, then they won't see that person as that in their life. And I said, well, I I want you to be my pastor and I don't call him anything but Pastor Bobby because that's who he is to me. Just like my dad is my dad, just like my mom is my mom. Does this set well with everybody? Don't walk out of here and go. He's demanding we call him pastor. I just got done saying I'm not commanding the, or demanding that you call me pastor. It's no, it's no problem. But it's good for you. It's good for you because it will start. You'll start to see me different. Instead of just seeing me as Kent, you'll see me as someone who's called and anointed to lead and to speak into your life. And if you don't believe I'm called and anointed to speak into your life, then what in the world are you doing here? Those aren't good words to grow your church in numbers, but it's the truth. Why would you ever sit underneath of somebody that you don't feel called to sit underneath of? But if you do feel called to sit underneath of them, place them in the place of honor as being over you in the Lord and draw everything that you possibly can from them. Let's read this in Philippians chapter 2 and then we're going to close. Verse 3. Actually, let's start in verse 1 and go to 4 because it's all good. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. What is that? That's honor. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit ociperryville.org.